Grab a Bible, head over to Luke chapter 5. We started it last week, and we'll be picking up again in Luke chapter 5 today in verse 12. Um, we're looking at two stories today. It almost feels like two sermons lined up one after another. Uh, in each case, what we're seeing here is, is Luke is going to tell us about a miracle that Jesus does, and then he's going to explain the miracle to us. And so we're going to take it in two sections. We're going to read one story, and then a bit later we'll read up the other uh, we'll read the other story when we get to it. So, um, but as we begin reading here in verse 12, just remember that first pronoun where it says here or he, it's referring to, to Jesus Christ. So uh, let's, let's begin there. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place, places and pray. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Father, we may not have leprosy, we may not have paralysis, but every person who has ever existed, including every one of us, has need to be healed from the sin that we have inherited from Adam. The sin that is spiritually terminal. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to understand these two stories from the life of Jesus. May, may our faith in Jesus grow and our compassion towards others be more prominent as a result. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, this first story here, we, we find a story about a man with leprosy and he throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. And so leprosy, I know we have general ideas, but leprosy was actually a, a variety of skin diseases, a, a whole bunch of them, some of which were highly contagious. And, and this man here was said to be full of leprosy, meaning, meaning he was likely disfigured from the disease. It was visible. You could see that he actually had this. Now, because people feared catching leprosy, those who had it were treated terribly, right? Uh, kind of like those that were suffering with AIDS 30 years ago, or, or the way that we see people get treated in, in zombie movies today, right? When they're infected, just pushed away, pushed out. Numbers 5 and Leviticus 13 in the Old Testament tell us that the lepers were to be put into their own community, away from the rest of, the, of other people. Now, it was for the safety of others, but at the same time, it was absolutely detrimental to the person who was suffering with leprosy themselves. See, because as they're living in these colonies, they're away from everyone. So, and then on the rare occasion that they actually traveled away from these colonies, uh, they were required as they traveled to cover their mouth. And, and as they go to shout out, unclean, 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 so that everyone could just stay away from them. People were afraid of them. Because of their being ceremonially unclean, this man could not join in the temple worship. He couldn't participate in the life of the covenant community in, in any way. Lepers lost also what so many of us absolutely take for granted, the simple act of physical contact. 
of just being touched by another human being in a simple way. So you may be able to imagine then, with, with all this fear surrounding those who had leprosy, that, that as this man approached Jesus, everyone else around him was panicking, stepping back, pulling children away, making sure they're not going to be touched by this man. And one of the things that I, I do love about this, this moment, as we see this picture of the leper approaching Jesus, is that he doesn't pretend to be well. He doesn't try to like, sneak his way in there like he's everyone else in this sense. He, he knows he's not. He also believes, absolutely believes, that only Jesus can heal him. And that's the reason he finds himself face down at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him. The man has genuine faith. In fact, you can, you can hear it in the words that he speaks to Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus then stretches out his hand to this man. And, and the people standing around, we, we don't have it recorded here, but you can imagine the way that they were panicking as they see this. Jesus, don't touch him. Don't do it. You, you'll get leprosy. You'll become unclean also. It's a reasonable response. Because that's the way it ordinarily works, right? When, when something clean touches something unclean, they both end up dirty. If a, if a six-year-old girl in her Easter dress hugs her muddy dog, right? They don't both end up clean like the Easter dress was before. The girl ends up muddy. But with, with Jesus, it's different, isn't it? This is the one scenario where it's absolutely different. What happens here? First, first we see Jesus say these beautiful words, I will. Be clean. That's all the man wanted to hear right there. And what we see is that the leper doesn't make Jesus unclean, does he? But rather, the touch of Jesus brings cleansing to the leper. It's hard for us to imagine, but suddenly this deformed man uh, who's suffering from the disease has new skin. Just immediately. <clears throat> now listen, Jesus could have healed him with a simple word, couldn't he? He could have just thought the healing and it would have, ha would have happened. But, but what we see here is this compassion of Jesus it is, is he touches this man. He reaches out and touches this man who has been labeled for so long as untouchable. What comfort for the burdened soul of this leper. And what words of comfort for all of us who, who know that we too need Jesus. Philip Ryken says, Just as Jesus took away the man's disease and transferred healthy skin to his ailing body, so Jesus takes away the sin of every penitent sinner and imputes to us his saving righteousness. Jesus then tells the man to not tell anyone, but to go and go to the priest and make the payment that was due. I mean, it isn't this great. It seems weird to us when we first read it, but it's, it's wonderful because here Jesus is setting him on this new path in life. It's not just healing and leaving him, and he's setting him on this new path. And as the man obeys Jesus, he's re-entering the life of the covenant community. <clears throat> See, the priest is incapable of healing anyone, but, but he does have one specific job in, in regards to, to, to leprosy. His job is to examine the man, to say, okay, you really are healed. That, that's the idea of what's happening there. And if they really are healed, then it proves the power of Christ that has just happened here. And at the same time, it's setting this man free so that he can go to the temple worship, so that he can enter back into this community that he has been missing out on for as long as he's had the disease. Now you see how this is analogous with our, with our own sin, our own need of Jesus. 
Uh, a good friend of mine, a guy named Brad Miller out in California, he, he so perfectly worded this. He said, in order to receive cleansing, you, you must become like the leper, realizing you have a fatal disease that affects your whole body and that Jesus is your only hope. And so then this healing makes Jesus more famous, right? People are coming from everywhere seeking after him. And yet we learn here in verse 16 that, that he makes a priority to get away from people and, and to pray to his father. It's kind of contrary to the way we think of things, right? If it's working, let's just blow it up bigger. Let's heal more people. But he, he gets away. Now, now, this isn't a one-time event either. One of the things you can see in the Greek that carries a little meaning uh, sometimes is that you know, Jesus was withdrawing and praying from people on a, on a regular basis. This is the constant part of his life. But, but the real question here is, why in the world tell us? Right? This is not one of the highlights. Jesus got alone and prayed. Right? All these miracles and then this simple thing. And so it's good to know that, <clears throat> listen, Jesus is not, not getting away or withdrawing because people just annoy him. Okay? Don't, don't always associate that maybe you think that way, so he must be thinking that. He's, he's not the guy who's sitting there wearing the t-shirt that says, I like coffee, and maybe like three people. That's, that's not what's going on here, uh, right? It, it's, it's not this idea. I know if you're an introvert like myself, you see this and you're like, yes, he's an introvert. That's what he's doing. It's beautiful. Uh, Jesus was an introvert. <laughs> Jesus is not the poster child for introverts, right? <clears throat> um, because, well, not because, but Jesus likes people. He loves people. One person in the entire history of the world, you can't question whether he loves people, is, is Jesus Christ. Jesus routine, routinely shows compassion for people, but, but he withdraws here because he has this higher purpose uh, in his life for him to fulfill. Something that's greater value then than just merely healing people of their physical ailments. See, that's why Jesus' life is marked as much by withdrawal as it was by engagement. That's huge. You see, this, this, needs, to be, um, this need to be alone and to pray and, and to rest is, is an amazing declaration of Christ's humanity. Just like you and I. As Mike Cosper puts it, he, he says, Jesus is perfect not because he never tires of the crowd and the work of ministry, but because he rightly responds to weariness, withdrawing to desolate places to rest and to pray. This is the hidden ground from which his ministry arises. What, what God intends for us to see here is that you and I as, as humans, we do need time away from the busyness of life. We need time to be refreshed and to engage with, with God in His Word and in prayer. We, we need to find those rare moments of silence in our life. If Jesus needed it, how much more do we? So I could spend a lot of time on this. I really could because nothing's been more beneficial to my walk with the Lord in the last few years than, than learning to, to rest and learning to little by little uh, in my day stop and pray. And, and, and yet we've got to keep moving here because we've got another amazing story here of Jesus healing. So we're going we're gonna to move forward and, and pick up reading here in, in Luke chapter 5 verse 17 and, and move on here, okay? Um, <clears throat> starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. 
And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of the, before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And so these religious leaders are, are there observing Jesus because his name is becoming famous. Who is this guy? Let's go find out about him. They're, they're, they're really just kind of uh, looking to see what's going on. Now, before we jump into the story proper, I, I want to make sure that we don't miss this statement that sets it up in verse 17, where it says, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Again, this is a tremendous reminder of the humanity of Jesus. Is Jesus God? He is. He absolutely is. But he's also truly man. And so he has to depend upon the Father and the Holy Spirit for, for these divine works, such as healing and healing diseases and, and reading men's thoughts. The Westminster Confession, our, our doctrinal statement of the church, uh, chapter 8, verse 3 says, The Lord Jesus and his human nature... Thus united to the divine, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit. You see, this is one of these moments, many moments in Christ's life, uh, one of the moments where God incarnate, God in flesh, is working in the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and here's what happens then as we go through this story. Jesus is in a house. He's teaching. He's surrounded by this just mass of people all over him. And at the same time that this is going on, there's a group of guys, having heard about Jesus' fame, he can heal people, and they have a friend who's paralyzed and needs healing. And so they're going to take their friend to Jesus. That's the plan. Now you understand, uh, some of you children anyway, that paralysis, when we say this word or paralyze, what we mean is that their legs do not work. They cannot walk. They cannot run. They cannot jump. Their legs don't work. And since these guys then can't get near Jesus, they come up with this ingenious idea. They're going to they're carry him up the external, external stairs of the house to the roof. And they're going to remove these chunky mud slabs that are, that are uh, creating the roof. And they're going to create a hole big enough that we'll just lower our friend down to Jesus. And they all gave each other a high five because this is such a brilliant idea. I don't know that. Scripture didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but that's what I'd do. Uh, anyway, I, I can't imagine at this moment, you know, this house is getting messed up pretty bad. Um, I can't imagine the owner was pleased at all. I, I, it kind of reminds me, I was telling my son this story the other day, and it came to mind. I, I grew up in this house with a, a fairly large garage, and it had this, this attic space above the garage before you get to the actual roof. And when I was somewhere around the fourth grade, my friends and I had made this ladder that goes up to it, and we thought, this is our fort. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and you know... Anytime you're making forts, whether we're talking blanket forts or any kind of fort as a kid, you, you fall into that endless expansion mode, 
right? Get more blankets, get more chairs, get more of anything that you're building. And one day it occurred to me, you know, if we could, we could expand to the roof if only we had a hole to get up there. And so we took a hammer and literally hammered through these wooden shingles and stuff to get through the roof. And then, and then there was a beam in the way, and so we sawed through it, and it took forever so that we could create this big enough hole that we could get out onto the roof. And it was amazing. We'd wander through the roof until one day that I popped my head out to look around, uh, only to draw the attention of my father who was in the backyard. And as we made eye contact, I knew this is the last day of my life. <laughs> He was pretty upset, to say the least. Um, you see, we, were, we messed up this roof just for a better view. In this passage, at least they had a good reason. I couldn't tell my dad anything, right? They're messing up this guy's roof to change their friend's life. So, so then before we go any further, do you, do you see what a glorious example this is for us of, of how we are to care and to love our friends? I mean, here these guys are, I mean, these are the kind of friends that we really want to be. Friends who will go to, you know, great lengths in order to, to bring those that we love, those we care about into the presence of God, into the presence of Christ. See, when you read this, when we read this, be, be thinking of a friend that you desire to introduce to Jesus. Be, be praying for them. Be asking yourself, you know, what would it take for me to introduce them to the Lord? What would it take? Right? And usually it means something for us, right? They're going to think I am weird. Because it doesn't take much to see, you know, your worldview through their worldview. And, and, and it might be a little difficult for us to think, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk to my unbelieving friend about my Savior. And it's okay if they think you're a little weird. You know, we're asking that question. What would it take to introduce them to the Lord? So anyway, uh, many of the people here... Uh, present, they're, they're probably annoyed, right? If I'm in there, I don't care what's going on. I don't know what's going on in your world, but you're dropping mud on me. What's wrong with you people? And it's falling down on their heads, but their plan works. The, these guys lower their friend down to Jesus, and then we read that Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of the friends, but, but included in that word there is the man himself, uh, is the paralyzed man. Jesus saw his faith. And so this is the moment then, right, that healing should happen. This is the moment that everything they've done to get him there, it should be coming to fruition. And what does Jesus say? Look at verse 20 if you have it open in front of you. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Your, your sins are forgiven. Not, not a single person in the room expected that from Jesus. We weren't even talking about sins. So while the paralyzed man then is pondering these words, all right, as he's still dangling above Jesus, there's a side conversation that begins. The, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they begin to kind of mutter to each other things, you know. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Now you, you, know, you understand, by blasphemies, what we understand here is that, that Jesus, they're saying Jesus is speaking in a way that, that they believe is untrue and, uh, and, and dishonoring against a holy God, right? Highly offensive language. And the Pharisees, they know the Old Testament law. They know that blasphemy is so terrible that, that it is actually punishable by death, by stoning. They're outraged at this. 
They'd be lighting up Facebook, but since that's a few thousand years away, they're just mumbling to the people next to them, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now let's stop a moment right there, because think about that. Who can forgive sins but God alone? What do you, what do you see that's wrong in their theology there? Nothing. Nothing. Their theology is solid. What, what they're saying is true, but they're failing to recognize that the man before them is God clothed in flesh. These Pharisees are spiritually blind in this moment. What, what they're missing is that it wasn't blasphemy because of one simple fact, is that, is that Jesus can forgive man's sins because Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He has unique authority to forgive sin. In verse 22, we, we see then that Jesus is perceiving their thoughts. This is part of it, what we're talking about. Their, their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. Listen, God knows what you and I are thinking too. We, we can't hide from God, nor should we ever want to hide from God, because He's the only one that truly knows your deepest, darkest sins. Whatever it is that you would hate for anyone else to know, God knows that. And that's good, because He is the only one that can heal us by forgiving our sins, all those sins that He knows. And so then, knowing their thoughts, Jesus asks them, right? He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? See, it's a, it's a tricky little question the way it's worded, because from a human perspective, it's going to be so much easier to just say, your sins are forgiven. You can say that to anyone you want on the street, and they'll just be like, okay, maybe. There's no way to verify it, is there? It's so easy to say, because there's just no physical proof to verify whether it happened or not. We, we don't suddenly have glowing halos above our heads, although that would be amazing. Now, healing, on the other hand, would be immediately verifiable. If Christ claims that he's going to heal this man laying before him, then the man had best get up, or those present would know that no healing has actually taken place. He's a man with only words, no powers, no authority. So listen, uh, listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And with that single statement and the man's obedience, every man, woman, and child present can finally answer the question that was asked earlier by the scribes. You remember it? The question is, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus can. Jesus can because he is God. But because he's the promised Messiah who will make the payment for this man's sin when he dies upon the cross just a few years later. So we're going to talk about that authority that Jesus has to do that. You, you might have noticed back in verse 24 uh, that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Right? It's this seemingly random title, the Son of Man. And we're always like, no, you're the Son of God. This is a weird thing to call yourself. Um, it's this interesting title that Luke is going to show up in the Gospel of Luke 26 times total. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Back there in the, in the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel has this vision. And he, and he sees the Ancient of Days. Okay, That's what he calls him. He's talking about God the Father. He sees the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne. And, and someone approaches this throne. And this someone who approaches is called the Son of Man, this mysterious person. 
And God on the throne gives the Son of Man dominion, and He gives Him glory, and He gives Him a kingdom, and He gives Him authority. And Jesus is using this, this title in this moment. He's using it to say, listen, that's me. I'm the Son of Man who God spoke of through Daniel. I have dominion. I have authority. And so really the, the Pharisees in this moment should be worshiping Jesus. Right? Their people have been waiting for this moment for so long. And here it is before them and they're not. And they're not because unlike the leper before and, and unlike the paralytic here, they don't even see their need of a Savior really. So they don't see their Savior. Well, what about us? Do you understand that you need Jesus? Daily, constantly, always. Not just as a one-time thing way back in the, the, the history of your life. But that we need Jesus today. So, I know many of us, we need physical healing. We need mental he healing. Or, or we have friends in hospital rooms who are, who are desperate to be healed. And when we read this, we, we want to see God heal in our situation, just like He does in the story. That's what we're hoping for, right? Listen, I, I don't know if God will heal your medical issue. I don't know if God will heal your friend. I just don't know, but I, but I know that in the larger scheme of things, I know that if, if you desire the forgiveness of sin from Jesus, He absolutely will forgive your sin. And that is more significant. It really is. And I'm not just saying this as like a, let's just forget about that and change your direction so you forget about that. But, but I really mean that. And Scripture really means that. Because whatever sickness or disease that you're healed from today, right? Hallelujah, that's amazing. But, but something else will kill you eventually. That's the impact of sin on the world as we know it. It's reality. It's not going to change. However, if your sin is forgiven, that's eternal. That's forever. That's the healing that we truly, truly, deeply, desperately need. And that's what Jesus is working towards. That's the real point of this passage, in fact. We're so amazed by the miracle that we sometimes miss that, that the whole point is that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. All of this is just to show the greater work of, of the forgiveness Jesus is bringing. Now, forgiveness is our, our deepest, our most foundational need. I, I, I recently came across uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you're smiling. This is not a good thing. <laughs> now, it's laid out as this pyramid. And, and I'm not about to trash it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, the foundation of this is, is physical needs, right? It's the things like you need oxygen to breathe, right? That'd be hard to live without it. Water and food and sleep and clothes. And then above that, it's this pyramid, right? And above that's this safety. And then above that is love and belonging, things like friendship and family and such. And above that is esteem. Uh, and above that, there's this self-actualization. That part's a little weird. Um, <clears throat> Now, my only real knock on Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is that it only accounts for the life we're actually living. As if from the moment you're born to the moment you die, that's all of history, that's all of you are, uh, right? Uh, and, and it's really a bad thing that it only accounts for the life we're living right now because that could be over by the end of this day. See, his, his pyramid doesn't go down low enough. All I want to do is, is raise it, right? And, and put a new layer down below it, right? Uh, because more important than physical needs and health, which are all legit God-given desires and needs, but before those, the greater importance is the forgiveness of sin. 
The greater importance is this restoring of our relationship with our Creator, the securing of a a life after this life in the presence of our Lord. And so then, before we close, I I do want us to see that that here, when, when, when Jesus... Also, that when Jesus makes this huge transformation in a person's life, we're seeing him call them to a new path of life, right? Yes, he's meeting their greatest need, but he's also putting on a new path for the life as we are living right now. In verse 25, the man obeys Jesus by picking up the very bed that carried him there that day. And he carries it home, and we're told as he was going, he was glorifying God. Can you picture that, right? The singing, joy, thankfulness. And listen to how those who observed this responded, verses 26 and 27. And an amazement seized them all. And they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. That's how people who have been forgiven of sin respond. They glorify God. And that's how we should respond when we see God working in the lives of people around us. That we glorify God. May, may we be known for the way that we, we glorify Him in our hearts, in our, our actions, in our speech, in our songs. All because of the work of redemption he, He's done in our lives and in so, the lives of so many around us. I mean, you look around you, you have so many reasons to glorify the Lord for the works He's already done. So then, listen, Jesus is willing to make you clean. Jesus is willing to forgive your sin, and, and this is huge because we do. We, we live in a world that is broken. And we've all had those moments where we're praying, we're pleading with God to heal someone we care about. God, would you just act right now? And, and sometimes God heals our bodies or their bodies, and sometimes He doesn't. But what we're learning here is that, that we can find comfort and rest even in these broken bodies of ours because of the gospel hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the application of this passage is, is not only life-changing, but hope-sustaining in the face of suffering and even death. So that when the doctor diagnoses you or a loved one with cancer or heart condition or whatever else, the, the knowledge of your forgiveness of Christ can sustain you. I don't mean that in a flippant way, right? But that's the only thing that's going to sustain you in that moment. Lesser things too, right? When relationships are difficult or when the, the fog of depression just won't lift. When, when all you can think about is debt or how to fix the mess you've gotten yourself into. This eternal perspective is what we need so that we can see our great need and go to Jesus who alone can meet it and who is willing to do so who is gloriously willing to do so. The psalmist in Psalm 41.4 gives us a beautiful prayer that we can pray no matter our physical condition. I'm going to end with that. Uh, He prays this. He says, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. And the Lord, we know that He can and He will heal our soul if we go to Him and ask for it. Let's pray. Father, in Exodus 15:26, you identify yourself as the Lord, your healer. Today we're asking you to be our healer as well. If, if you will heal us from physical disease, from emotional scars, but most importantly, we're asking you to heal us from our, our own sin so that we too can pick up our mats and go through life glorifying you. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.